This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films, joined, as always, by the legendary football writer, Paddy Barkley, to take you on this journey through Old Trafford history. Paddy and I are joined by another legend, um, the legendary Manchester United midfielder, Sammy McElroy, who's joining us to talk about the 1974-75 season. How are you doing, Sammy? I'm fine, thank you, Wayne. Nice to speak to you, Paddy. Yeah, you too, pal. Midfielder, a bit more than that. I would say <laughs> I would say if you'd been playing today, you'd be a sort of classic number 10, a goal-scoring creative player playing off a big lump. I would have yeah. liked to have played that role, to be honest with you, Paddy. You know, and, I think uh, you'd have been brilliant, and and I think you'd have been unstoppable playing in what they now call pockets of space. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I would have loved that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I'm nothing if not reductive. Trying to <laughs> Paddy Paddy Rice stuff, and Sammy used to kick a ball. Um, if you're <laughs> if you're watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe, and join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Um, Sammy, we're going to be talking about the 74-75 season, but prior to that, um, United went to Ostend in Belgium. Um, a bit of crowd trouble, but what I really want to talk about is Martin Buchan. Um, he'd emerged as this leader of the group, obviously with the um, exits of Low, Best and Charlton, he'd sort of come into that void as a massive personality. And it was so funny on this pre-season, he refused to hand over his passport. And I just wanted to ask a few questions, well, really, just get, get your thoughts on, on Martin emerging as that leader in the dressing room and, and that story in particular, the passport one. Oh, yeah, Martin was a character. I, I remember Martin coming uh, down when he signed from Aberdeen. A uh, very confident play, uh, player, fast. One of the best defenders, I think, over the years that Manchester United have ever had. Very articulate man. A definite born leader, no doubt about that. But Martin, from day one, always had this, that why should I be giving my passport away? I'm, I'm old enough, I'm experienced enough, I can look after it. But that was a club rule at the time, Wayne. The secretary at the time from Les Olive, uh, right through to the secretaries when uh, kept a hold of the players' passports because players actually could lose them. They could set them someplace and not find them. And that's the reason why the club did what they did. But uh, 
Martin had no intention of uh, the club having his passport. He was the only one that got away with it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he um, he definitely would not let the club look after his passport. Yeah. Um, you said you had another story about um, Martin when you were on the way to um, Chorley for dinner one time. Oh, yeah. We, we, there was a big man there called Sam. He was a friend of Tommy Docks or Tommy Cavanas. And when we were flying as a team, playing really well and beating teams every week and we were doing really well. The duck very rarely had his training hard. It was all five sides, And then he would take us down to Blackpool for a place where they had cold baths, saunas, massages. And then after we had the sauna and massages, we used to go back to this restaurant in Charlie, Big Sam's, to have some food. So it was a Wednesday or a Thursday when we used to go and we'd take the order of the food. Then we'd take the order of the drinks. The lads in them days would have in the middle of the week or a Thursday, they would have orange and lemonade, black currant and lemonade, orange juice, just an ordinary lemonade. It came to Martin and Martin would order a pint of lager. <laughs> he was the only player that have a pint of lager and no one said a word. The doc never said a word. Tommy Gavana never said a word. This was Martin's <coughs> preparation. I want to paint a lager on a Thursday or whatever when it was. I will have a paint a lager. That's exactly the character he was. But he was one of the best captains I ever played with. And, um, you know, he, 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 he had a great time at Manchester United. For his size, his partnership with Brian Greenoff was absolutely superb. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Tommy Kavanagh uh, and also Frank Blundstone, two coaches that we haven't mentioned in previous episodes. We've gone through the coaches, so I'm just going to give them a little bit of a, an introduction here for listeners. Tommy Kavanagh was a scouser and inside forward on his day. He'd been player manager at Cheltenham Town where he'd been sacked for swearing after um, complaints from the supporters club. And I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise to Sammy, considering the um, volatile way Tommy could be on the pitch, on the training pitch, I should say. And um, Tommy Docker, his other coach was Frank Blundstone. He's a former winger. He actually played alongside Duncan Edwards and David Pegg in the England under-23s. Um, played under Docky at Chelsea. Um, he'd been at the club for around a year at this point, and Docky said a great line about him. He said, whenever a youngster had self-doubt, Frank had the knack of pinpointing strengths. The yeah. boy never realised he had. <clears throat> so, yeah, th those were the two coaches in with um, Docky. Those were the players around him, uh, the coaches around him at the time. There were a couple of new players who came into the, the side at the start of the season, or, or sort of, certainly one of them and another one in, in the middle of the season. First is Stuart Pearson. Um, Sammy, talk to me a little bit. Sam, Stuart came from Hull. Wasn't an obvious signing. Other strikers were, were linked with United, and Stuart Pearson had been playing in Hull reserves. And so, was it a surprise to you? Because obviously, he was the player who was coming in to replace Brian Kidd. Absolutely. Um, Stuart came in. Um, and I, I think the link there was obviously uh, Tommy Dock at Hull, yeah. working under Terry Neal. Tommy Gavana was at Hull as well. So, they knew this player inside out. And um, when Pancho came down, uh, I looked at the build of him because in his in his time before football, he, he used to be claiming telegraph poles and stuff like that, you know, and doing that as a job. And upper body strength was absolutely unbelievable. And first day in training, I looked at him and I thought, mm, he looks a bit handy, you know, he looks a bit strong. But his touch and his awareness and goal scoring <coughs> was absolutely superb at that stage when he came to Manchester United. It's just what we needed. 
Uh, he could link up midfield. It was great for me. I used to play alongside him at times um, before the Ducks started changing the team around a little bit. And we had a great understanding. I loved playing with Pancho. And uh, as I say, he, he took a lot of stick off defenders, but he could handle himself as well. And I think it was a great buy um, for, from the Duck to, to bring him into this side. That was the time the Duck was beginning to get the team that he wanted. And Pancho was a, a great step forward with that, with that team. Yeah. Manchester United are used to playing Benfica, Real Madrid. You made your debut at Main Road. So the culture shock of the fixture list bringing United to Leighton Orient, or as they were known then, Orient, on the first day. It was yeah. become an infamous game in United history because of the fact that I mean, it couldn't be a more sort of significant game in terms of United going into the second division and who were they going to play there? They're going to play Orient on the first day. What was it like playing there? Was it embarrassing? Was it was it crazy, the number of fans that were there? Because obviously, they, they travelled in the hordes. Oh, the, the fans situation was absolutely unbelievable. We're in London... And um, it was like playing at Old Trafford, to be honest with you. The support we had was absolutely fantastic. It was a warm day, obviously, beginning of the season. You mentioned the word there, Wayne, and embarrassing. And to a certain degree, there was a little tinge of that, to be honest with you. We are used to playing. Manchester United were used to playing against those teams you talked about. The stadiums as well we used to play in were fantastic, you know, in, in, in the league. Then we're dropped down a division and you go to Orient. Now, that's a bit of a culture shock, Orient. Not just the pitch, the fans were so close to you, but the dressing rooms and all were absolutely a shambles. They were yeah. so small, um, small baths, and uh, you're thinking to yourself, oh my God, is all the second division going to be like this? It's going to be a bit of a shock. But we were so, uh, after the pre-season went through and down to business, we, we <coughs> every player, I, I looked in every player's eyes and the determination to start well, because expectations were sky high. For us yeah. to get out of that division, absolutely sky high. And then um, we got off to a great start down at Orient. I was actually sub for that game that day, Wayne, um, my first game at Orient uh, in the second division. I started off in the subs bench um, down to one or two little things that happened in, in, in pre-season and whatever. And um, it, for me to sit and watch and listen to the crowd, listen to the stick we were getting, listen to the Orient supporters, uh, giving us so much abuse every time we got the ball, it, it was a bit of a shock, I must admit. But we won the game, and that set us off uh, in in the second division. Yeah, um, won seven and drew two of the first nine. The confidence that um, had been bereft and missing from this United side in the previous couple of seasons sort of flicks like a switch as you start playing with a bit of a swagger. One particular game, um, we played at Blackpool in, in October and Martin Buchan um, told me, sorry about, he was just stood at the back watching this United team play like a United team should and he was sort of taken aback by the confidence of it. United winning 3-0 that day. Um, as it, the season wears on, United are earning that many plaudits and that much attention from the press because obviously yeah. they're playing good football and, and doing very well. But um, when they play South, uh, Sunderland in November... Yeah, the match of the day cameras are there, Paddy. I'll come to you with this, and I, I want to really talk about how it comes into fruition that Manchester United can be thrilling so much in Division Two that at the turn of November they're being considered to be featured on Match of the Day. Which, for listeners and, and viewers, Match of the Day wasn't a compilation show like it is today. They picked one yeah. game where it was. 
hence the title match of the day they pick a match and no it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't a surprise because um simply because the crowd figures everywhere united were going and and indeed at old trafford because the fans loved the brand of football i mean i, I think we mentioned last week sam sammy just to bring sammy up today i i mentioned that you know often people say oh a season down will do that club a load of good and the, the instead of coming straight back up they go further you know they, they struggle and that's happened a lot recently but this was a classic case of because well, Samuel correct me if I'm wrong there, there there had been signs even in the relegation season that they were beginning to play Manchester United football you know again and 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 this just accelerated um in in the second division and so it was no surprise since <clears throat> they were bringing in bigger crowds than I think I may be wrong I think there were only two teams in the in the first division pulling in bigger crowds than man united so i suppose it was just a, a sensible commercial and footballing decision by the um by the match of the day producers uh, to put to put united on the telly um because they were making a, a national impact even though they were in the, the lower division it was you you wonder if it if, if it could happen today i think i suppose with manchester united it would um or if Liverpool got relegated or something, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was exhilarating. I, I, um, Sammy, I mean, you were by now you were fully over your car crash. Yeah, yeah. You're fully fit, and you must have been loving playing in that team, especially um, after a long spell of on the sidelines. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. I, I've talked about this. I've talked to this about Wayne. I've mentioned it in 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 the book. That season in the second division was probably one of the best seasons in, in all my football career where everything from, you have touched on supporters, the way football Manchester United should be played, excitement, home and away, record gates, everything fell into place, Paddy, and it was absolutely a dream to play in that team. We couldn't wait for a game Saturday to Saturday or Saturday, Wednesday, what it was in them days. And everyone was going out with confidence. And don't forget as well, we were the team to beat there. Every team we played yeah. to beat Manchester United. Home yes. away, they were dying to beat Manchester United. And that was yeah. a challenge that we had and we overcame. Yeah. Well, how much um, of a factor was Doherty? I mean, Kavanaugh and Blunston were mentioned. Which yeah. did, did either of those two have something in it? Or was it just yeah. the, the Doherty's natural effervescence sort of being reflected in the team uh, that's a good question Paddy, because they all had a little part to play frank, yeah. frank mainly with the with the kids to be fair frank yeah. was fantastic with the kids and, sort of, and the doc, yeah. and the doc do this frank Blunstone, he, he was great with the kids tommy was like uh tommy would start around an empty house uh, yeah. he, he he was unbelievable he, he was passionate he used to get the supporters at it. We used to go away from home. He'd have a red shirt on. He'd go over to the fans, take his jacket off and show the red shirt, get everyone yeah. pumped up. Yeah. And and the duck and the duck was 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 a character as you know. Um he would in big games he would be cracking jokes. That was his way of sort of yeah. like selling his town. We went out every game fearing no one. Mm. The team shoot used to come in. Tommy Cavana would pick the team shoot up. 
screw it up and throw it on the floor and say, we're not even looking at that. They're not in our league. So <laughs> the, the two of them had a part to play. And, um, you know, we, we the training side of things wasn't what you call a lot technical party. It was, it was more fun because when we were winning games, we did the same every week. Yeah. We had yeah. the same routine. The Ducks sort of thing was, why change it? We're yeah. loving it. Why change it? We hardly ever talked about opposition. Uh, we, we used to do like a shadow play. We'd play against no one just to get our shape. And it worked a treat. And um, everyone loved training. It was exciting. Uh, it was fun. And as I say, a joy, a joy to play in at that stage. Yeah. I mean, I had won that game against Sunderland 3-2. Sammy scoring <coughs> it. Um, effectively, from that point, United were runaway leaders of the second division. There were a couple of wobbles. But um, football that they were playing and the form and the confidence they were showing, they were never really in doubt of throwing that position away. Um, they were hoping for success in the Cups, in the League Cup. They went on a run away, knocked out Manchester State. A little bit of revenge for the previous season, um, the incident with Dennis Law. Um, the Cup run took United all the way to the semi-final there. He came up against Norwich. Sammy, you and I have talked for, I've known you for nearly 10 years, and I know that that defeat is one that rankles with you still to this day. Um, yeah. Norwich really aggravating. There was an incident with a team bus down at Carroll Road. Uh, another yeah. Lou McCorry, um, I think, I think if I get it, yeah, McCorry scored another red kick in one of the games, and he was rankling that that game was never televised. The other League Cup semi-final was televised, and his best goal was missed to it. So a lot of misadventure on this um, thing, and and Norwich win one 0 I believe Ted McDougall, who was obviously the scourge of Tommy yeah. Doherty, had come back and scored in that game as well. So, um, why why does it rank with you so much? Semi final, you know Wembley. Then Wembley was everyone wanted to play at Wembley. We're in the we're in the seventies, and um, the League Cup uh, was a chance for us to get to Wembley. But you know, then them games were over two legs. And uh, we we really we really lost it at Old Trafford. We scored two goals. And we let them score two. I think Ted McDougall scored at Old Trafford win to, to make it two two, and that sort of like rubbed it, rubbed their faces in it a little bit. But we should have done enough at Old Trafford to to go to Carrow Road and expect uh, to to get the Wembley. But we lost at, at, at Wembley. Uh, sorry, at Carrow Road <coughs> one nil, um, and it was heartbreaking because it was our first sort of like so close to Wembley even though we were doing well in the league and everything, but every player wanted to play at Wembley. Um, and uh, that night, you know, we heard the Norwich dressing room singing and dancing, and it was really hard to take that, that we were travelling all that way home, not getting to Wembley, you know. But uh, it was an experience for, 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 for us at that time, and it made us even more determined uh, to try and get better uh, in, in cup competitions, which we did over the next couple of years. But... Uh, to lose a semi-final win, that one has always rankled in me. And um, at United, I think that was the only semi-final that, that I'd ever lost. Yeah. Um, in the FA Cup came in the third round in the replay at Walsall. Um, and then, before, like, you know, the concentration went on the league and promotion, making sure that there was no slip-up there. Um, no spoilers, United went up. <laughs> we don't need to sort of... Cover, well, we'll be covering that ground, but you don't need to spoil it in terms of um, the way that it happened. Two key transfers, though, Sammy, I want to um, come to you on. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll ask, um, I'll come to Paddy on this. The arrival was Steve Coppel. 
Steve Koppel from Tramia, um, a Jimmy Murphy find because he'd been brought back into the fold by Tommy Doc to, to go and scout some players. Um, Koppel, a, a real discovery, wasn't it? Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, Jimmy Murphy uh, as well. That was a great move from the Doc to involve Jimmy Murphy in a situation like that, especially with the history that Jimmy Absolutely. had read throughout the club. I think that was a great move to do that with Jimmy, and Jimmy loved that. Jimmy had one look at Stevie Collin, and after a number of minutes, whatever what it was, he said, sign him. Because Jimmy knew a player inside out over the years, no doubt about that. And I think it was 70,000. I may be wrong, we had 70,000 for a player like Stevie Coppel. Okay, Trombier it was at the time. But he came in to our sort of setup, like a duck to water. Uh, the role that we had him playing, like a right-sided player. But not only when I say a right-sided player going forward, the stuff we did going back for us at that time <coughs> was was immense. And it was a great signing, mm. an absolutely fantastic signing for the money as well. Great, great move by the dog. Buddy, um, yes. Pearson and Cop, two, two fairly low-profile signings, but they were, they just, like Sam said, like a Ducks to water. Well, they might have been low profile in, in, in terms of what they'd done before, but you know, Sammy used the duck to water metaphor, you know, and it, it was it was definitely that way with, with Pearson, especially the way Sammy's just described it. Yeah. Um and Steve Coppel too didn't need, even though he wasn't a full time professional footballer, to the extent that he was still at university, I think, Sammy. He was when You're he right, Paddy. joined You're the club. Right, um, so he was coming to combine the two, you know, uh, so he wasn't able to rest when he finished training. He had to, had to uh, study. And, um, but Steve, as anybody who knows him would know, is, um, you know, he's got, there's a fair old capacity in that, in that head. And, and he just adjusted to the, Sammy says right-sided player. I remember the only time he very, that I, I did an interview and the only time he very sharply criticized me was when I said, you know, as a winger, he says, I'm not a winger. Yeah. I'm a right, that there are no wingers anymore. I have to work back. I, I didn't like to say, well, what about Gordon Hill? You know, <laughs> he's only 30 yards away from you. He's more, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he was maybe not so good, Sammy, at the, at the defensive work as, as, no, no. Did, Buddy, you're, you've touched on Gordon. Gordon couldn't tackle a face somewhere, as we used to say. <laughs> and Gordon was, sometimes Gordon was an absolute disaster for us when he tried to get back, you know. And then uh, uh, we wanted him in the final third because as a winger, and the goals he scored uh, yeah. as a winger was absolutely second to none. But Stevie had, Stevie had that knack, as he said. His work rate was absolutely unbelievable. And, and the blend with that on right side, and with Hilly on the left side, the goals he used to get was just unbelievable. You couldn't yeah. really, you couldn't really predict that, Paddy. What would that that was going to happen for them too to do what they did in that side? No. You know, the work rate. Stevie got the odd goal. He 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 created a lot. Where Hilly, you know, did yeah. both in the final third, created and scored a number of goals, which was fantastic. I mean, yeah. in in a sense, it was the beginning of of, of the period where your wide player did have to work. He couldn't be Stanley Matthews anymore, or, you know, yeah. but um, it, whereas Liverpool had Jimmy Case out there who was, you know, who couldn't hit a byline. No. Uh, the way Steve Koppel did. So he, he could do a winger's job, 
Yes. He could score goals and it later moved him to centre forward, Wayne, as you as you'll remember. Yeah. Um, and he could handle that like a sort of latter day Raymond Copa. And he yep. could uh, but he could also do the winger's job, but he didn't like just being described as a winger because he did so much as, as on top of it. Party. I don't think, Paddy, if you think about it, and you've watched football the way Wayne's watched football for years and years and years, yeah. in that era, I don't think there was another right-sided player who did what Couple did. No. Hmm. You know, you're talking about right-sided players or wingers. Their job was, and you touched on there, to get to the byline, to beat your fullback, get the ball into the box and let the people find their, the strikers find hmm. your cross or whatever. Hmm. They, What Couple did brought a new dimension to us, but with his work rate, helping the right back out, helping midfield players out. And mm. uh, that's just the way he was. Um, mm. I don't actually think, and I mean this, I don't actually think Tommy Duffery said to him, hey, you've got the track back, you've got to do this, you've got the help, whatever. He did that natural, Stevie Cobble. He did it himself, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And, he, and I think there was another player that I can sort of think about you're talking about Jimmy Case. Jimmy T Case, when he played right-hand side, did a lot of work going back and tackling. But yeah. Case never provided what you're no. saying, the finishing touches, getting up no. defenders and crossing balls. No. Not, not at all. No. Uh, a but a they... brief moment, um, Jim McCulliog, because Jim McCulliog had been there for a year and he, <coughs> he left Southampton. Sammy, obviously, when he arrived, he sort of took pressure, took pressure off a few of you forward players and, and did quite well at the back end of the relegation season. Were you surprised that he was... Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. We've done after a year. Jimmy, Jimmy McCulliog was a great uh, footballer and a lovely, lovely man. I, I love playing with Jimmy, Jimmy McCulliog. Now, Jimmy McCulliog was one of those players, started off as a striker as well, played striker for Scotland, moved back into midfield. And when he came to Manchester United, he was ideal for us at the time with his experience. He could settle us down. He could pass the ball. He had an eye for a goal. Um, but I think, I, I think in the end, with, with Jimmy McCallyog, I think he had a little bit of a fallout with certain staff members. Maybe Tommy Gavana, maybe uh, the doc had a few words. I, I think that was one of the main reasons when, why Jimmy went. But he did a job for us. He helped us through a stage where we needed somebody like him, and he did it very well. Yeah. Um, that was McCallyog out. Couple in necessitating a change in formation. Um, United were very on, on the verge of um, promotion, really. It was a, a win against Cardiff, win against Bolton, draw against Norwich, win at Forest, draw at Bristol, and then a win at, at York City, um, Wilf McGinter's York City, which yeah. doesn't go down in the annals of United history as a significant game. 
But it, it did in this one because this was one where Coppel played on the right and Morgan played on the left. It was the first time that actual yeah. four and four formation uh, came into play. Um, Paddy, we've talked a lot about the change in formations over the time. This was a very bold change, for, particularly considering the pragmatic way United have played for basically three years, wasn't it? Absolutely. But I think that. Sorry, sorry, Sammy. Yeah, carry on. Go ahead, Paddy. Go on, you say, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that, that 74 5 season, I, I, I didn't see every game. But my general recollection of United was that it was, a, it was in effect 4 2 4. Um, but there was there was always always seemed to me four up front. Is is am I being no, romanticising it, Sammy? Or, or no, not at all. We, we we no, you're right, Paddy. Because we had we the doc used to say to us that we're, we're playing always played Wade, always played with Wade players with the doc, always yeah. played with Wade players. But what our thing was that the doc drilled in this was we go we go together, we attack together, we defend together. Mm. And um, I remember that switch actually, Wayne, what you're talking about with Willie. And I think that was a writing on the wall, believe it or not, for Willie Morgan when Stevie had that right sided role where Willie had for years. Yeah. Willie had it for years. And when Stevie mm. Copper came in, I think the doc had um, I think the doc had um his mind on maybe moving Willie on. I don't know if Paddy agrees with that. Yeah. That, that was my that was my thought. Couple had come in, that type of player. Yeah. And I'm thinking uh, the duck was beginning to actually say to Willie, "You've got a battle on here." Yes, um, I mean Willie was how many years older than you? Uh, I'm just eight, trying to think. Eight, Willie would have been thirty-one by then. No. Eight, yeah, uh, Willie. Willie. I think Willie. Willie's eight years older than me, Paddy, at the time. Yeah. So he, they're going back there. Well, I think early was early thirties. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the style of football that you played, it was, it was, it was demanding physically. Yes, it was. Yeah, and I think that maybe that was the reason. Yeah. Rather than again, 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 if I can touch on Willie was fantastic going forward, final mm. third. But if you're asking Willie, and I'm sure Willie will agree with this. Well, he used to play in midfield as well, Paddy, as you know, for a few years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd forgotten that. He played in midfield for a few years in there. And um, and then when he was weighed, we, we never expected Willie to track back like a Gordon no. Hill or whatever, no. or like a TV couple, sorry. You know, Willie couldn't do that. And at 31 years of age, I mm. was beginning to think that Doc had something else in mind. Mm. Um, promotion was secured at the end of the season draw at Notts County and then a big promotion party Blackpool where there were fans on the roof of Old Trafford um, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of that it's that quite extraordinary Paddy, uh, sorry Sammy you, you win the second division with Manchester United, you've gone up, you've played fantastic <coughs> football are you yeah. celebrating or is it a matter of relief when you're walking around the pitch at the end um, Well obviously I wouldn't say relief, it was more like job well done Wayne Um Pressure was on us enormous that season from the first game. Um, um, what we couldn't expect or experience or think or dream about was to have another year in the second division. I don't think that I don't think that would have went down well, what, what, whatever. But the way we got out of it and the way we've played and the publicity we were getting, 
through media, television, uh, was was absolutely unbelievable. And then, and every we were getting praise left, right, and centre. And may, may I say, rightly so, because our football was different class. But when we got that trophy at the end against Blackburn and Old Trafford, it was thank God we did it, and we did it mm. well. Mm. We did it yeah. in Manchester United way. Yeah. Paddy, before I move on to the squad statistics, United have gone up. We obviously we know what's going to be coming in the future because we're going to be talking about it in, in subsequent episodes. But mm. at the time when they went up, was it like there was a curiosity how good were this Manchester United team? You know, could they challenge or, or was it like they, we expected only, them to get promoted? Only for a couple of games. Um, and the question was answered. I mean, looking back on it now, um, you know, I studied the life of Sir Mark Busby and, and Sammy was very helpful to me uh, in, in researching the life of Matt Busby uh, for, for a book. And um, for me, this was the, the, this was the Busby years back. Oh, thank you. This was the Busby years. Uh, uh, sorry for those listening on audio. Wayne's just held up a copy of my book um, <laughs> available as Sammy's is in all good bookshops book and bad ones as well. And the, um, the thing about this was that the Doherty regime had brought back the Busby days. Yeah. I don't think that's an exaggeration. It had brought back the flair, the panache, even what Sammy's just said about the, the mantra, we attack as a group, we defend as a group. That was, yeah. what, um, that was the last words that Jimmy Murphy used to say to the that's team right. in Busby's day. We go right. up. We go back. That's and, right. um, I think in more ways than one, it was an exciting, entertaining team. Busby believed in entertainment. It was a fit team. Yeah. And it was, actually, when you look about it, it was a young team. It was a team that was, as Boris Johnson might say, oven ready for the, for the top division. Yeah. So I don't think there was too much doubt. But if, if there were any doubts, there were... What were the opening results, Wayne? You'll have them at your fingertips. For the uh, come on, time for the next episode. Okay. Um, right. Don't want to spoil anything for that. But United they definitely right. sort the next season well for sure. Okay. Um, right. that, that, that was my yeah. recollection. That it was a no-brainer once. Once you, yeah, there was a curiosity, but it was it was ready. You know that team was ready. And and yes, we'll talk in other episodes about the signings that were made. But we've already talked about um, Coppola. We've talked about Pearson, both young players. McElroy still, still to get to his peak, probably. You know, those 23, maybe. Um, you know, uh, Bakken, young. Um, goalkeeper, maybe not. But the, there was, there was a, a nucleus there of quality, of Manchester United players, if, if you see what I mean. You know, players you could bank on, uh, and they were aged uh, in their early to mid twenties, all of them. Yeah, a couple of them given debuts this season as well, which is um, fairly strong-minded of Doherty to do that, um, considering the pressure that he would have been under to get promotion. So, go through the squad statistics. Um, Paddy Roach is the first name that's popping up on the screen. There, Alex Stepney was the first choice goalkeeper this season, playing in forty-nine of the fifty-one games. He played 49 in all competitions, 40 of those appearances in the league, and the other two appearances came by Paddy Roach, um, 
those in the league, obviously. He was an Irish international by the time he came to Old Trafford, signed for £15,000. He played for Shelbourne before and played 100 times for them and actually scored a goal like many Manchester United goalkeepers of the past. Yeah. Um, Ducky would be tempted numerous times to play Paddy Roach, but it never quite worked out for him um, because Stemney was ultimately more reliable as the 49 appearances go to show. The defence um, was beginning to pick itself until Jim Holton uh, suffered a broken leg at Hillsborough in a 4-4 draw, uh, which was the start of many, many mishaps with Jim Holton, um, the start of which would ultimately take his life as well. Just, but he was a very, very popular player. He played 17 times in all competitions, 14 in the league, usually partnering Martin Buchan, who played 50 times in all competitions, 41 of those in the league, missing just one game. At right back was Alex Forsyth, who's sharing the position with Jimmy Nickel. Jimmy Nickel made one substitute appearance this season. Um, he was Canadian-born, Northern Irish parents. He grew up there from the age of three in Northern Ireland, signed by United as an apprentice. At right back mainly, although he did moonlight in other positions. He was progressive on the ball. He liked to join in the attack. And in actual fact... Um, it's worth diverting on this. I'll just mention the other fullback as I did there. Alex Forsyth played 45 games in all competitions, scored a single goal. 39 of those were in the league. Just wanted to return to Jimmy Nickel because his family were moved over by uh, Manchester United to avoid the troubles. And um, it should bring us on to this point, Sammy, because they did the same feud, didn't they? United um, brought your family over. And it's worth mentioning because they obviously did that for Jimmy as well. Uh, a big um, a big gesture from the club, really, to do that. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the club were fantastic about that because at the, at the mm -hmm. time in Northern Ireland, there was really serious trouble. And um, mm -hmm. I, I did manage, you know, in, in, in the 70s, around about this time we're talking about. And uh, Jimmy Nichol... Uh, was in the same situation with his mum and dad back home, so the club helped them to get a house and sale, which I thought was fantastic, you know, and that's the way the club were. They didn't want any worries yeah. on your head, they just wanted you to think about football and to, to help the family. They were fantastic in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another debut on this season was Arthur Alberston. Scottish born, came through the United Youth System, made his debut in that League Cup match against Manchester City, a left-back Usually underrated, incredibly consistent and a strong defender. Albiston made just three appearances this season. Um, obviously, that League Cup debut and two more appearances in the league. Steve James made 15 appearances in all competitions, 13 in the league. James actually lost, he lost his Division 2 winner's medal. And it turned up years later. I remember there'd been a local newspaper report about it. He was so relieved because it was the only winner's medal that he had in his, his life, which shows that, obviously, the second division medal for Manchester United wasn't embarrassing for everyone. Um, Stuart Houston, the um, dominant left-sided defender, seven goals in 48 appearances, six in 40 in the league. Brian Greenoff, who had made a great start to life at Old Trafford in the previous season, winning the club's Player of the Year award, made 41 league appearances, scoring four goals. Those four goals in all competitions came in 49 appearances. On side bottom, made 16 appearances, 12 in the league. And Tony Young made 22 appearances in all competitions, 15 in the league. That brings us on to the midfield. We, D. McCreary, David McCreary, yeah. another Northern Ireland, they were infesting the squad, 
positively invested in the squad at this point. Weedy, a midfielder, um, only five foot six, five foot seven, but he was so versatile, played in a number of positions for this team, effectively became the number 12. So he was the substitute, and we'd be bringing, he'd be bringing on, uh, be brought on for anyone, um, regardless of who came off, and he fell in that role. Another Northern Ireland youngster, tied it, economic in position. And very useful, a good a good team player. Paddy often, I'm not going to refer to David McCreary in the same breath as Diego Maradona, but where Paddy is in the past talks about Maradona and George Best's capability to harness themselves to a team. McCreary had a good knack of doing that with the teammates that he was around. He was a very good, useful player in that regard. Um, it was, although, it was good. It, it was virtually the Northern Ireland team. What was Sammy? Best day just gone. Um, McCreary, Nickel. Uh, now, I don't know if this is true, but a, a friend of mine, and he told it as more of a joke than anything else about we David McCreary. He too, of course, came over when he was maybe 15, same as Sammy and, and, and Bestie and all that. But what was what I was told was that David's family included some pretty tasty lads from the loyalist side of the of uh, the community and uh, anyway they were all gathered on the quayside at whatever the port is in, in Belfast I don't know what it is and um, and they were all there to see him off you know with his wee suitcase and uh, the suitcase was probably bigger than him but he was about to get on the boat to go over to Manchester and this reporter, friend of mine, swears he had these big lads with the burst, muscles bursting out of their suits saying, now, don't you be getting into any trouble over there. Yeah. Uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But that was the story. <laughs> I mean, yes. Little Debbie was, little Debbie McCray was one of my friends and uh, yeah. not far from me in East Belfast. But his family were a very, very hard family. There's no doubt about that. And if yeah. you had a new little David, was involved in that family, you yeah. would have no chance because he was one of the, <laughs> he was so meek and mild, a lovely, lovely man. Yeah. Uh, it was hard to believe that he belonged to the McCreary's who I knew one or two of, the, of his brothers and Rab, his elder yeah. brother, was a fantastic footballer as well back home. Another Sorry. lovely man. I'm glad there was an element of truth in that story then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and here, here's, a, here's another man with a fine head of hair, Stevie Coppel. I know, right? Just come up on the screen. He uh, made the first 10 of his 396 appearances, at one point, a record breaking run of consistent appearances in, their, um, in a row. Um, he made 10 appearances this season, one from the bench, and scored a single goal. Derry Daly in midfield. Scored 13 in 46, um, 11 in 37 in the league. George Graham made one single substitute appearance. Jim McCallioch made th 27 appearances and scored three goals, 20 appearances in the league. McCreary, should, men should mention, made two substitute appearances in the league before, <coughs> um, before going on to bigger and better things at United in the future as well. And um, brings us to two more midfielders, one who sat with us and the other one by the name of Tommy Baldwin. One of those, um, like mentioned in one of the previous episodes, 
some players only stayed at United for such a short period of time that there's no pictures of them in United shirt. And this is Tommy Baldwin in a Arsenal shirt. Um, he was loaned from Millwall for a few weeks in January, played just two games. A midfielder was brought, thought that he'd bring a little bit of bite into that area of the pitch, but he was gone pretty sharpish. Um, and the other midfielder, um, although, yeah, as, Sammy, as Paddy quite correctly said at the start of the podcast, maybe I should describe him as a number 10 trickle teaster or yeah. whatever the modern um, name is from Sammy McElroy. <laughs> 10 goals in 51 appearances, 7 in 42 in the league. Every league appearances, uh, that means that you were the only player, Sammy, to play in every single league game this season, which um, so obviously you came on against Orion and then um, didn't miss a single one. So you even played at Millwall, played at, y- at York, played at Cardiff, all those unsavoury grounds. Uh, Sammy McElroy was there. Sammy McElroy, um, your father was <laughs> also travelling to many of those games as well, wasn't he? Well, my dad... My dad and, and, and my father-in-law at the time uh, and a couple of friends, there was four in the car. They went up and down the country um, to watch the team. And, uh, you know, my dad, who he, he was an amateur football back home, even he was purring the way we were playing, um, you know, the proper way to play football. And uh, he loved it. Since I brought him over from uh, Belfast, he, he just cottoned on to Manchester United, home and away. Even my mother went to the home games and never went to the home game. Yeah. And, uh, and as I say, my dad travelled to quite a few of the away games um, yeah. when there was a lift going in the car. Yeah, he loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Willie Morgan, four goals in 42 appearances, three in 34 in the league. And then brings us on to the forwards, Lou McCorey, joint top scorer with 18 goals and 47 in all competitions, 11 in 38 in the league. And Stuart Pearson, who we mentioned earlier, one to the dock from Hull. Not a prolific goal scorer, really, and not particularly built like a menacing finisher, but he did seem the perfect match for this building team of frenetic energy and increasing pace in there. It's like sometimes he'd be the calm in the storm, like there'd be a pinball machine going off in the penalty area and he'd be perfectly placed to fire the ball into the It's a definite gamble. And we'll mention another one in a moment. It could have easily been a Tommy Baldwin or as we're coming on to a Ron Davies, but it worked very well. And Pearson um, scoring 18 in 37, 17 in 31 in the league. Um, a tremendous signing from Docket 8, without a question. And yeah. The other name in this list is Ron Davies. Um, looks more like a you'd see him in a film from the 70s in this picture that's on the screen. Very yeah. of his era. A, a great... Um, mop of air, and I've got him down as eight substitute appearances there, but he's actually 10 appearances in all competitions without scoring a single goal yeah. for Manchester United. Um, the match programme is a little bit different, because um, we mentioned it at the start of the decade, it was the one with the big circle in the left, um, and now it's changed somewhat to this welcome to Old Trafford United review, which I actually like, I love that style, and it was so similar to the one that we did for the 74-75 book. Um, it looked a little bit like that. Um, before we conclude, I always do the tactics. The tactics, um, more or less, for this season, looks a little bit like this. Alex Zetmingle, Forsyth, Buchan, Alton, Houston. That was the usual side. Obviously, with injuries, Alton would move, and then Houston might move into middle. Alberston might move to the left. Greenoff might also move back into midfield, as, uh, into defence as well. 
And you'd have the likes of Michalio, Mick Martin coming in, McCreary, obviously, as well. And the midfield, Willie Morgan, obviously, he's going to be displaced by Steve Coppel towards the end of the season, but he played the majority of the games. Brian Greenough, usually in the middle with... And you can correct me on this one, side because I've got Daly and McElroy there, McCory and Pearson, and, and it must be the first sort of iteration of an interchangeable system there with Daly, McElroy and McCory, right? You three would just flit around changing positions in that area. Absolutely, yeah. They're, they're, as I say, we're very flexible, the team as well was. You know, they, they used to be, you know, you think of Brand starting off in midfield, then he finishes up when Jim breaks his leg, he goes back to centre-half and yeah, Daly, myself played in there. And then Lou McCurry, he was a striker, came away and went back into midfield. Yeah, came, You know, and I went yeah. back, uh, as I say, and I played inside there with, with Lou McCurry for a number of uh, years in midfield. So the all those players on that team there were all flexible. They could all play different positions. And it was a dream, absolute dream to play with, with those players. The best Busby sides, as Paddy mentioned earlier, they shared that trait as well. So very, um, very sort of in sync with the club's history that Doherty was building that side. Um, the average attendance of Trafford was actually up by 6,000 um, on the relegation season, despite being in the second division, 47,781, like Paddy said, one of the best um, supported clubs in the country. Top scorer, Macari and Pearson with 18 goals apiece. United obviously finishing top of the table, winning that second division trophy. The key results I've picked out, the 3-2 win against Sunderland, because obviously made the headlines and got match of the day. And the York City um, victory against Wolf McGuinness' side, because it marks the same, the first time that Docky had overtly changed his system into what would be recognised as his team. And um, then the 2-2 draw at Notts County that um, secured the return to the top flight. Elsewhere in football, Derby County won the league championship. West Ham won the FA Cup and Aston Villa won the League Cup. Um, I don't think you're going to see your sort of three lower sort of sides winning trophies like that in the future because Liverpool are about to dominate, unfortunately. I did try and spoil it in the last episode and think that they were going to <laughs> go on to worse things, but they are not. They're going to go on and dominate English football. Leeds lost in the European Cup final to Bayern in Paris. Ah, they're still mo- they're still moaning about it, Wayne. They're still bloody yeah. moaning about it. <laughs> moaning about lots of things as well. About the referee, about the referee cheating them. Yeah, this this isn't a podcast for Leeds fans. Um, they they <laughs> they were complaining that um, Leeds had a disallowed goal and it sparked riots in the stands. And you're quite right; they still complain about it today. Um, but they lost stalls well ends well. As far as listeners to this podcast, you will attest not not for any Leeds fans. In which case, my deepest commiserations to your um, European defeat. Um, that's it for this episode. United back in the first division. If you're watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform that you're listening on. Paddy and I will be back next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, We understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. 
That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.